Look at what Jesus is building here at Compass HB. And when I think about the church of Jesus, the main thing that comes to my mind is the people. And what a great weekend we had with the men. My name is Michael Chadros and I'm gonna be here to share my testimony. I've gone to church my whole life. I. For most of my life, I was a very angry, violent, uh, mean person. I started to become discontent with my life, with marriage, even though I was blessed with a wonderful woman, two beautiful children. In my heart, I was seeking more. Life had me into um, drugs and alcohol and crime and um, sex and everything that the world could offer is what I was partaking in. I think the main thing that I tried to fill myself with would be satisfaction from other people um, and, and getting that appraisal from them. Uh, I scratch one person's back so they might scratch mine. I make a funny joke so they might like me. Uh, before I became a Christian, I thought I was right with God. I thought I was doing everything right, but I was still walking in sin the whole time with that, with thinking that that was okay. Uh, I was trying so hard. My whole life, I was trying so hard. And I didn't, looking back, I see it now. At the time, I would have never thought that I was basing my salvation on works and on my own efforts, but I absolutely was basing it on my own efforts. Everything that I did, getting hard and getting tough and putting up walls, was everything I thought got me through everything in life. But looking back now, it was everything that kept me from from enjoying everything that God had planned for my life. Everything I had tried to do in my life came crashing down on my head. Every sin I tried to fulfill led to nothing, it led to emptiness. I rode the roller coasters for as long as I could and then it got to the point where um, self-destruct mode was taking over and I ended up in a rehab uh, a couple times. Yeah, and then in one of those times, um, someone came to share the gospel with me um, so he came and shared the gospel with me in a way that I had never heard before. I had heard words like justification and sanctification and glorification. And more than anything, what stood out to me was repentance. Eventually, it just got to a really low point and uh, got so miserable. I was like, I need to do something else than sin. So uh, January of 2018, I uh, started going to Compass consistently. Uh, that's when I met uh, uh, with Foster and met with Pastor Bill and we just we talked about counting up the cost, talked about the new, the old man and the new man and yeah, that's when I repented of my sins and put my faith in Christ. And at that moment the wind was taken out of my sails, I lost my breath. The Lord opened my eyes. I fell to my knees crying and I realized I wasn't a Christian and how badly I had sinned against God, and not just for the thing, those things that I've done, for everything in my life that I've ever done, down to the smallest lie. But I had a conversation with God and I asked Him that if He really loved me, and if I was really willing to give up everything, including um, all of the gifts that He had given me, that He would save me. And I repented of all of the sins, because I had got the right doctrine, and I had got the right leadership, and I had got the right fellowship, and I had got the right love. So I knew everything I needed to know. Um, and I 
had that conversation with God and I did give everything up and I asked for his forgiveness and I repented of all of those sins that I had been harboring. And from that moment on, it was a light switch that went off. All of those things, that those burdens that I had been carrying on my back um, had been lifted from me and um, I was regenerated. I was washed white as snow and my life will never be the same. Wow, now suddenly everything is clicking. The gospel isn't just some story. The gospel is what I'm gonna put my trust in. The gospel is life-saving, it's soul reviving. It's, it's, it's what's gonna give me joy for eternity. And I think, I think ever since that, it's, my life will never be the same. It's, I'm forever changing. It was then that my life changed completely. It was darkness to light. It was 100% different. I'm a man who doesn't deserve that by any means. And I'm so thankful for the Lord for saving me, for saving my family. Behind closed doors, the things we would tell each other, the things we would yell at each other in anger, uh, it, was, it got ugly. And, and to be able to, to go from that to watch each other in the Word and to be praying over each other. and our, If you had a, a microphone in our house recording our conversations, you, you wouldn't even recognize, you'd, you'd think a different couple had moved in. And it's just so, so awesome to be able to see that and experience that. Praise the Lord for all that He has done in my life, for His, his pursuing me, for opening my eyes and showing me that I was blind. Well, we praise the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. Amen. Amen. And I'm happy to report to you that we have some men who just uh, profess faith in the Lord Jesus this weekend at our retreat. And so uh, the ushers are coming right now and they are handing you uh, a book that has Genesis on the front of it, because I'm here to invite you to open your Bible and turn with me to page one, everyone. We're starting the Bible right here, right now, today. Together, we're going to go through it. So please, open your Bible and turn with me to page one, and that's whether you got one of our Bibles or any Bible you got, you just go to page one. And we're going to be at Genesis chapter one, verse 1, and we are starting from the beginning of the Bible today. And uh, I told the men up at the retreat, I'm doing what I want to do with my life. I love being the pastor here, and uh, I hope we get to go through the whole Bible together. Uh, and we'll start here today, you and I, Genesis chapter 1. And uh, what I want you to do is hold your finger there on page 1, and then try to find page 177. That's if you got our Bible. It might be a different uh, page if you don't have one of the Bibles we're handing out. But find Deuteronomy 34, okay? I want you to see, and you can hold it up. This is what it's like here in my Bible. Maybe you can hold it up, show me what it's like in your Bible. But this right here is the law written by Moses. And these are the, what we think of as the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But really... It, it was all the law of Moses, and it was written on five scrolls, but it was all given to Joshua for him to lead the people of God into the promised land. And so, everybody got that? Can you see how much that is? 177 pages, if you got one of our books. Our goal as a church 
And maybe you've been a part of our church from the first day, or maybe this is your first day. Maybe you just joined us at Fall Fest on Thursday and you decided to come and check it out. Can we give everybody a warm welcome if this is their first time here with us? Hey, thank you for, you came on, you came on a page one day, and we may never have another day like this, okay? This is literally the best day to show up, all right? Um, that, that 177 pages, those five books, The Law of Moses, I want to invite every single person here to read this with us as a church over the next five months, okay? And as we get into each book, uh, you'll get one of these books, a, a study guide. And this was our first one. You know, we're not in the habit of publishing little booklets here at the church, but so, we're, you know, work with us, but we'll get better at it. But this is our first one you've got right there. And if you start going through it, you'll see that for every few chapters, for every day's reading, there's some cross-references, there's some questions, there's some thoughts, maybe even a family activity. And so we've already handed out, last week we handed out the schedule for the next five months to read through the law. If you didn't get it, you can pick it up on any table on your way out. And then here's a book that takes you through Genesis. And each day's reading, it's got a page in here with some questions and cross-references because we really want to encourage you to actually read the Bible. And to believe that God is going to speak to you by the power of his Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit of God is going to be your tutor, your teacher, giving you understanding from the word of God. And we're at that time of the year where I just had last week parent-teacher conferences. Anybody else out there at the parent-teacher conference, right? Uh, I, got, I got a fifth grader. Uh, who's ruling the elementary school, right? And then I got, uh, I got a second grader. And I met with both of their teachers, me and my wife, Crystal. We, we sat down with them, and they were preaching to us a gospel of reading is what I heard from these teachers. I heard about words like inflection, and I heard about the importance of repetition. And it was clear that both my second grader's teacher and my fifth grader's teacher expected that their student, an elementary age child, would be reading for at least a time length of half an hour at home every single day. This was an elementary school expectation. You see where I'm going with this, everybody? You see where we're headed? Okay. If it's important, and I believe it to be, for elementary children to read Things that are probably, you know, about crazy fairies and frogs, you know what I mean? <laughs> if it's important for them to read, how important is it for you to read the law of God that is the foundation for all of Scripture? You want to talk about a real education, everybody. You want to talk about studying something that really matters. I'm just asking for a half an hour of devoted time, Monday to Friday, and if you fall behind, you can catch up on the weekends. If you look at the whole schedule, we even have a reading week coming up where you could catch up if you fall behind, all right? And every week, I'm going to preach a message from, and that'll just queue up the reading for the next week. So this week, it's 11 chapters of the Bible we're asking you to read this week. And if you don't like reading, have, there's, a, there's plenty of apps you can get, like the English Standard Version ESV app. Just push a button, somebody else will read it for you, all right? How about that? You just listen, okay? So I hope you're with me on page one. And we're going to get started here today, and, and we just got to... Uh, we just got to go over chapter 1 and 2 up on the mountain uh, with the men 
Uh, was that a good time, men? Did anybody have a good time up there? Man, that was awesome. All right. And can we give a shout out to the overflow room right now? There's a whole group of souls out there who can't really see us. Can we, can we just, we love you. We love you over there. We love you. All right. Um, we taught, we, what we had really in chapters one and two is we got the setting. Okay. The main character of the, of the Bible, the main character of the law is God. That's how it starts. Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, he is the main character, and he does his work of creation, and you can see it breaks down the six days of creation, and, and God says something, and then it always says, it was so, and at the end of the day, God saw what he had made, and everything that God made is good. That's what he says. And then on, on day six, uh, he says this, this is verse 26, Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And we got to talk about how God is spirit. And so if we're made in the likeness and the image of God, we're made to worship him in spirit and in truth. What makes us unique as human beings in the image of God is we have eternal souls. We are spiritual beings. And then we got to see in, in chapter 2, it dives in deeper about the creation of man and then woman. In fact, we saw that there was one thing that was not good in all of God's creation. You can see it there in Genesis 2, verse 18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that the man should be alone. So here he is saying, that's good, 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 good. He says, no, here's something that's not good is the man to be alone. He makes a helper fit for him, it says here. Uh, and he forms woman out of the rib of the man. He says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And when God makes man, he says, it's not good. When God makes woman to join man, God says, it is very good. That's what he says. And so that's the setting. God has created this world. He's made male and female in his image. And what I want to read with you now is the inciting incident that's going to kick off the plot that you, the story that you and I are living in this very moment. And I want to read Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 to 19. And out of respect for God's word, I'm going to ask everybody to stand up as we move now from the setting of God and his creation to the fall of man here into sin, the deception of Satan, the thing that really kickstarts the world that you and I live in, the fallen creation, the cursed earth. It all starts right here. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. This is verses 1 to 19. Please follow along as I read. This is the word of God. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. 
Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. To the woman, he said, I will surely multiply your pain in childbearing. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. That's our reading of God's word. Please go ahead, have your seat. And what we have here is the tragic circumstance that sets off the conflict of good and evil here on our planet. And we have the serpent who we know to be Satan, the devil, the deceiver creeping in here and just go back to verse one and this is so important for us to see how this all begins the serpent comes up and he said to the woman look at this verse one did god actually say see here's what satan's doing he's just trying to get you to question he's just trying to get you to doubt the word of god He's just trying to twist it a little bit. It's amazing what Satan does here. It's so subtle. It's so deceptive. Instead of God's word having authority over Eve and telling her what to do, and you can see the command. It's right up there. Look at verse 15 of chapter 2. Just look up a, a little bit there. It says, The Lord God took the man, put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to keep it, and the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, or for when you eat of it, you shall surely die. So that's what God said. He said it just to Adam before Eve was there. And here comes the serpent, and he goes to Eve. And the question is, did God actually say? And what that question does, 
is instead of you sitting here with God's word having authority to speak to you and to tell you what to do, that question right there flips it around where you get to sit over God's word and you get to decide what it says or not. That's the situation that Satan puts Eve into with one question. That's the whole twist right there. This is a good question for us to think about as we're about to do this ambitious thing, a five-month, 20-week study through the law together as a church, encouraging every man, woman, and child, let's go through this all together. Hey, do you sit under the authority of God's word? Or do you get to decide what God actually says? Now notice what Eve, how she responds. Verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, what do you notice? She throws in this, neither shall you touch it line. We don't have that line recorded in Genesis 2. So, Where does that line come from? Is that like Adam's throwing that in when he tells it to Eve? Is that just Eve kind of overstating it? But do you see how this is how the telephone game works, everybody? What God actually said is not what Eve actually says God says. And again, I feel like this is so telling. I can't tell you how many times I have been at this church talking to people in this room, talking to people in these halls, sitting in my office right upstairs, talking to so many people that God brings here. And I have heard people say, well, you know how the Bible says, or you know how Jesus says, and then what they go on to say is not ever said in the Bible or by Jesus. It's kind of true, but a little bit off. Do you realize the whole problem begins when we don't Take God at his word. That's the problem. Verse 3, it it goes on like this. Uh, Sorry, verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Now we're just flat out contradicting the word of God. For God knows that when you eat of it, now we're all now we're like questioning the motives of God. We're doubting the goodness of God. Now God's becoming the bad guy, the perfect creator who's giving life and all these beautiful things to be enjoyed. All of a sudden, he's actually trying to keep something good from us here. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. No, see, Satan's actually the one who wants to be like God. But now here he is giving Eve that thought. Now we're down like, you notice what he says, you will not surely die. Here's what Satan goes after. Let me just eliminate the consequence of sin. Let me just try to make sin look good without there being any threat of death. This, is, this has been a tactic of false teachers following Satan's lead here forever. What's the first thing to go? If we're going to start kind of changing what God says, what's the first thing we're going to start dropping? Well, let's stop talking about judgment. Let's start, stop talking about what happens if you sin. Let's rein in on the death. Let's not even really talk about sin that much. And let's just kind of keep that part out of it. And let's just talk about the other things. You know where that tactic came from? Satan right here. Hey, you're not going to die. There's not going to be any judgment. You're going to be able to get away with it. You don't have to listen to what God says. Yeah, sure, he's the designer, the creator, the master plan. Sure, you can make up your own story. 
Start acting like you're the main character. This is his tactic. See, what is the beginning of wisdom, everybody? What is the beginning of wisdom? What? The fear of the Lord, the fear of God, the understanding that God is going to hold me accountable for what I do in this life and that after this life comes death and after death comes judgment. Satan, he goes right for that. You're not going to die, Eve. You're actually going to get enlightened. You're going to get to see the world as it really is. You're going to fully experience the world. How many people has Satan given that lie to? And how many people have fallen for it? Point number one, you need to take God at his word. You need to take God at his word. There is something that God actually said. And God actually said the things that he said because God loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And he's telling you things for your blessing, for your good, for your family's good, for your neighbor's good. God created everything and it was good. And then Satan came in and twisted it and deceived Eve and Adam ate of the fruit. And then we have the fall right there into sin. And it starts with this. Did God actually say? Now, I wonder how many of us here today, and I'm so glad you're here as we kick this off, but I wonder how many of us, when we come to church on a Sunday morning, our attitude is whatever God says to me in his revelation here, in the Holy Scripture, inspired by the Holy Spirit, starting with Moses and then throughout thousands of years, different men writing books in here. Whatever this book says, whatever God has revealed to me from heaven, and I have my eyes open to see it by his Holy Spirit, and it's all about Jesus Christ. Whatever this book says to me, it has authority in my life. If it tells me to do something, I'm going to do it because I trust in God and that's what God has told me to do. Do you sit under the teaching of the word of God or do you sit over it? And then I wonder, how well do you really know this book? Like, I wonder, how many people have read through the law before? Raise your hand if you've ever read through these five books of Moses before. Okay, so we got a bunch of people who've read this before. I wonder, does it actually say what you think it says? Or if you started saying, well, here's what it says, would you be a little bit off here and a little bit off there? Maybe it's actually a little bit different than we really think. So I just want to encourage everybody, let's approach the law with a fresh perspective that whatever it says is what it says, and I need to line myself up with what it says, not thinking that I know better because I arrived in the year 2019 and this is ancient. Now turn with me to Matthew chapter 4, because I want you to see how this same situation takes place again, where Satan comes to deceive and tempt, but this time we have a new Adam character here, okay? And that's what the, the Bible clearly says, that there is a second Adam, and this is a teaching that the Apostle Paul really likes to get into where uh, there was an Adam who was our father who led us all into sin, and then there was a second man who represented the image of God. And this man, he is the one who leads us all into righteousness, and his name is Jesus. And Jesus also is tempted by Satan. He's led into the wilderness, and he fasts for 40 days and 40 nights, and then the tempter came and said to him, this is Matthew chapter 4, verse 3, page 800. And nine, the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, 
which is, again, twisting. Are you, you might as well just say, are you actually the Son of God? Are you really the Word of God, right? Just Let me just get you to question it a little bit. I don't sit under its authority. I question it. If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. Now, we, we don't have time to break down the whole temptation account here, but I want you to see, look at verse 4, especially if you've got a red-letter Bible. This is really easy to see right here because it says in verse 4, but he answered, it is what? Written. Okay, and Jesus Christ, he, he's quoting them here. Three different times, he quotes the Scripture when Satan brings a temptation, he responds to Satan with what God actually says. And I love the third one. Matthew 4, verse 10. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. Oh, we need to start saying that. That's a good line right there. Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Do you know what Jesus quotes three times here to give the booyah, the be gone to Satan? Deuteronomy, three times in a row, Deuteronomy. Two times from chapter 8, one time from chapter 6, he quotes. Deuteronomy, the second telling of the law. Deuteronomy is really the climax that we're going to be building up to because after all that God has done, this is Moses' kind of final statement to the people of Israel before he gives the five scrolls to Joshua, who's going to lead them into the promised land, and the book of the law is not going to depart from his mouth. And so Jesus says, hey, Satan, I got, I got, I got the way to respond to you. You're trying to get me to question God's word, but I'm going to tell you what God's word actually says. I wonder how many temptations you and I are considering or even giving into because we're not familiar with what God actually says. And we're not ready to quote it and quote it rightly. And we're not meditating on it, the law, day and night, delighting in it, loving it with our hearts. And Jesus, he, he's just, be gone, Satan. I have the real book. I have what God said. I believe it. I know it to be true. Be gone. Then Jesus, he preaches a sermon here in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Go to Matthew 5, 17. Here's what Jesus thought about the law that you and I are embarking on. Going all the way back to Genesis, all the way through to Deuteronomy, 177 pages Here's why Jesus says you should read the law. And when you read the law, he gives you here a hermeneutic. He gives you here an interp interpretive principle. Here's what you should be thinking. At, how are you going to interpret the law? What is the grid through which you're going to see the law? How are you going to have the worldview you're going to look at it with? Look what he says right here. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. If you're thinking that the law or the prophets, that's old news. We don't need that anymore. Jesus has done away with that. Don't think that. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I came to do every little thing that it said. So we're going to see Jesus in Genesis. We're going to see Jesus in Exodus. I'm going to preach 20 sermons from the law, and I think we're all going to be surprised by the end of it how many of those sermons are all about Jesus Christ. Because he's saying everything in it is about me. 
So I've been told this idea, I've heard it at church, maybe you've heard it, that no, the second half of the book, or even like the last quarter of the book, is really about Jesus and all that other stuff. We don't really need that because we've got the Jesus part now. That's not what Jesus said. That's not what he taught you to think. No, he said, you go back and you get into the law and the prophets, and that's what I came to fulfill. Then he says this, look at verse 18, for truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, not one little dot of a Hebrew letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. And see, now he's actually saying that the law is going to last longer than heaven and earth. The law is going to last longer than the planet we're living on. And there's even more in the law that is going to be accomplished. He's not saying it's old in the past, it's ancient. He's bringing it into the future. He's saying it's eternal is what he's teaching us. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments, you don't think it's a big deal to study what God said? Whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now the Pharisees turned the law into a list of things to do, which is always a natural human response to the Word of God. Make it a religion. Make it things I can do. Go do those things. Check off the list of life. Feel better about myself for being a good person. That's what religion does. That's what the Pharisees did. He says, you're going to have to do more than make the law a list of things to do. And here's when I really knew that we as a church needed to go through the law together when I realized that most of us think about the law like the Pharisees and not like Jesus. Because we've heard so many times that the law is a list of things telling you what not to do, that we actually think that's what it is, rather than this epic story fulfilled by our Savior Jesus Christ. That's what it is. It's the beginning of the story of our lives. It's, it's all about Jesus and what he's going to do. God's telling his servant Moses to write things down 1,400 years before Christ, and Jesus is going to do every single one of them down to the tiniest of details that we're going to study. God's showing off in a major way, and we're like, I don't need that. That's a list of things to do. That's what the Pharisees think. And Jesus says, your righteousness is going to have to be better than the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees had self-righteousness. The Pharisees made it about what they did. But the law has never been about what you and I do. The law is about being fulfilled by Jesus, the one who is righteous. And so when you read about Adam, if you start reading with us, Genesis 1 to 3, tomorrow, you could even go get ahead if you want to today, all right? No, no problem with that. You go start reading about Adam. Here's what you need to know. Jesus is the second Adam. Go to Romans chapter 5 and, and look, at verse, look at verse 12. And, and, and this is where Paul says that, that because Adam ate of the fruit, because Eve was deceived, because of the deception of Satan, there was death. And when you first read the story there in Genesis 3, you might think they're going to die right away. Well, what we all know by personal experience is that when we have sinned, we did not die right away. 
In fact, by the mercies of God that are new every morning, you and I have not died yet. Can we praise the Lord for that here today? We're alive. We have not yet experienced death or judgment of God, even though every single one of us in the room have sinned. God in His mercy withholds that judgment patiently and in His grace has continued to give us the good things of life instead of death and judgment. And that's what it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, the first man, Adam is the Hebrew word for man. We refer to him as Adam. He, he's the man who sin came into the world through. And then death came through sin. Yeah, Satan lied, Eve. You are going to die because you ate of that fruit. We're all going to die. And so death spread to all men because all sin. The story of Adam and Eve has become all of our story, that we now have this sinful nature we are born with, and we get deceived about what God actually says, and we think it's going to be great to experience the world, and we go and we do things that we know God has told us not to do. We don't do things that we know God has told us to do. We've all sinned. That's why we all die. And it says in verse 17, For if, because of one man's trespass, Death reigned through that one man. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. The law is not a list of things for you to do to get righteous. The law is telling you about Jesus Christ, who is the one who gives everyone righteousness. That's what it's about. So go back with me now to chapter 3 of Genesis. Let's go back now. And let's, we've heard from Jesus on the law. We, we've already started to see how he is the second Adam who resists the temptation of Satan. That he, where Adam gave sin, which leads to death, Jesus Christ gives righteousness, which leads to life. Now, here's the thing. When God is pronouncing the consequences of this sin, you can see there in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 14, he starts here with the serpent, and then he goes to the woman, and then he goes to the man, and he has things to say to all of them. Okay, so this is now God speaking based on what Satan and Eve and Adam have done. And now this interaction where Adam and Eve are hiding from God, which is what sinners have been doing ever since, is hiding from God instead of stepping into the light and confessing sins and finding forgiveness. Sinners tend to hide away from God. And God comes and he talks to them. They talk about what has happened here. And so then God begins to speak. And he pronounces consequences on the serpent, consequences on the woman, consequences on the man. But the part we want to zero in on today is verse 15. Can you look at this with me? You might want to circle this verse. You might want to underline it. You might want to write it down on your notes. First, 
But Genesis 3.15, God says to the serpent, who we know is really Satan, the devil, he says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, Satan's offspring, and her offspring, or, or you could use the word seed there, okay? Offspring. There's going to be now an enmity, a conflict, between the offspring, the descendants of Satan, and the descendants of the woman. He, now it seeming to refer to one of the specific descendants, uh, the specific seed of the woman here, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. We're on Genesis chapter 3, literally on page 3 of our book, we got right here. Let me ask you guys a question. Who is the he that we're talking about here? Okay. Jesus Christ is the he that we're talking about. This is the Jesus book. Jesus is all over Genesis. It doesn't say his name, but once you know to be looking for him, once you know that he's the fulfillment of all of this, you're going to start seeing him on every page. Okay, let's get this down for point number two. It's about Jesus from the beginning to end. It's about Jesus from the beginning to end. And if you thought the law was about something else besides Jesus, you don't know the law. And I encourage you to read it with fresh eyes, with an open perspective. What did Jesus fulfill today? That's the attitude we should have going into it every day when we read it for those 30 minutes working on inflection and repetition, everybody. Right? What is it saying about Jesus today? What is Jesus going to fulfill out of this today? Well, here, so this is a special moment in the pages of Scripture. It's been referred to by theologians as the proto-euangelion, okay? Which is two Greeks words put together there. Protos means first. Euangelion is the word that means gospel or good news. Eu is a prefix that means good. Like if you're giving a eulogy, that's a good word. Well, angelion is a message. Angels are messengers from God. So the good message, the good news. This is the first telling of the gospel right here. This is the, hey, we've just had this inciting incident. We've, or we've had this tragic moment where the creation that God said was perfect and good has now been cursed and ruined. And right here when we're giving out the consequences of this fall into sin, introduce the hero of the entire story. First time you hear, right when God's given the bad news, he cannot help but say, one verse of bad news rolls right into next verse of good news. First person to ever preach the gospel of Jesus Christ was God, and he preached it to Satan. And he did it right here on page 3. Now, there's two themes that we need to take from this verse that are all of a sudden, if you haven't thought them through before, they're going to make so much in the Bible that seem confusing make perfect sense. Okay? Where is the hero, the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent, right? Uh, which, if you don't like snakes, maybe this is a righteous reason right here, okay? Uh, the one who's going to crush the head of the serpent is going to bruise his head, it says. Where is that hero character coming from? He's coming from the offspring of the who? The woman. 
So th- this is absolutely amazing to me, and I hope that your mind can be blown here as well. God has said, don't eat of the tree. He hasn't given endless rules. See, there's just one rule, it seems to me. There's one tree out of the whole garden you can't eat from, right? I mean, and, and, that, and Satan comes and he deceives it, it, what God said, and Eve is deceived. And now God takes Satan and he takes Eve and he says, I'm going to put you two against each other and you came to deceive her. Well, I'm going to use her offspring to defeat you. It's amazing. God takes what seems like defeat and he immediately uses it for his victory. You want to deceive her? Well, her seed is going to come and destroy your face. That's what he says right here. (laughs) Get wrecked, Satan. Be gone, right? That's what he's saying. I mean, this is out of what seems like a terrible, tragic defeat comes, not a catastrophe, the catastrophe, the good turn of events right here from the beginning. In the worst possible moment that we've had on planet Earth comes the best possible news. You want to deceive her? Well, she's going to have out of her offspring, he's going to defeat you. Now, turn to chapter 4. Look at, look at chapter 4, verse 1, all right? And it's going to talk about Cain and Abel. You see that? Where immediately, where's the story going to go right after this? What happens with Eve's kids? Is Eve's baby the hero? Are we going to read about the hero on the, on the next page? And so we got Cain and we got Abel. Are one of these guys going to be the, the hero? Actually, no. That goes tragically wrong. So then look at, uh, look at chapter 5. Now we've got this list of all these dudes here living for crazy long times, right? That's a, that's a theological, biblical scholar summary of Genesis 5 right there, all right? That is the detailed explanation. Why are we listing all these dudes and talking about how long they lived for? Because we're wondering, is one of them going to be our hero? That's what we're looking for. That's why they're so into genealogies. That's why they're so into it getting passed down from one generation to the next. Because someday in one generation, and I'm sure it went on for a lot longer than they were thinking. Like how many years? 1,400 years? Like well, how long is this going to go? We think 2,000 years is a long time, right? Went on longer than they expected, but what they understood is that there's going to come a hero born of a woman. That's what they're searching for. That's why we go through generation after generation, either a list of genealogy or we go from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph. You're going to get to know all of these guys because we're waiting for the seed of the woman to fulfill the prophecy of God when he first preached the gospel. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews is a book written to Jews, to people who understood the genealogies, to people who came from a culture of the father passing everything to the son is of the utmost importance. It's what life is all about. And the writer of Hebrews, he starts by telling us in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Look at that with me. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Uh, This is page uh, 1001, so we've gone a thousand pages here today. 
to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. So even though it doesn't say Jesus there in Genesis 1 as the creator, no, here it says clearly, Jesus is the creator. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. So it wants to make it very clear, Jesus Christ is God. That's what he wants us to know. Now go to chapter 2, verse 14, and look what he also wants us to realize. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. This is an amazing reality that Jesus was there with the Father at the creation, at the fall. And when it says the seed or the offspring of the woman, the very Son of God is going to humble himself, the glory of God is going to put on flesh and blood and the god man jesus is going to become one of us to come down here to save us so satan and god are involved in some kind of epic spiritual warfare beyond what you and i can see or understand but satan makes this move to deceive eve and to make this fall into sin and immediately god says back to satan no you go after the woman well out of the woman's offspring you will be destroyed and the consequence that satan lied about that satan said surely will not happen you can get away with your sin there will be no judgment surely you will not die see this to me is like the master stroke This to me is like so beautiful. I hope you can get what it says right here when it says that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. The devil thinks that he's won something by deceiving Eve, lying to her. He wants to murder Adam and Eve. He wants them to eat of the fruit and die. And he thinks this is great. I'll have the power of death over humanity. They will all sin. They will all die and all be victorious. And God sends his one and only son down here. And what is the strategy of how he's going to crush the head of the serpent? He's going to take the consequence that the devil went for in the garden. Jesus will die and that's the victory. Like, like that's amazing. Do you see that God is duping Satan here? Satan thinks that he's won, and the way that he thinks he's won is the way that he will be done. That's what's happening. You want to take this to death? I will destroy your power of death through the death of my son, Jesus Christ. Checkmate is what God's saying. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. He's saying, out of the seed of the woman. I mean, here's what you got to realize. Satan must have been thinking about Genesis 3.15 for hundreds of years. Have you ever thought about that? I mean, the prophecy of Genesis 3.15. I mean, Satan and the demons, they must have been having powwows about this prophecy. How's it going to come from the woman? How's he going to crush our head? They must have been thinking about this. And even Satan, this is how how amazing the word of God is. This is how far beyond comprehension 
That's why you, you and I, we're not going to be able to sit in judgment of the word of God. God is so wise in his infinite wisdom. We're only going to know what God reveals to us here in this book. Let me just tell you right now, the guy who wrote this book is smarter than you. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? And in his infinite wisdom, he's going to use what Satan did to lie about death and to cause Adam and Eve to die. And he's going to destroy Satan by the power of death. Now, we're coming here 2,000 years later after Jesus dies and rose again. One of the things that you may and I may not fully understand is that Satan thought he was going to win when Jesus died on the cross. See, Satan's been all about death the whole time. He wanted Adam and Eve to die, and then Satan is the one working in Judas. Satan is the one working through the Pharisees and the crowd. Satan is the one trying to get, he thinks he's got the power of death. He thinks if he can get Jesus Christ to die on the cross, then death really has won, and he's the murderer, and he's the liar, and he's trying to kill all of us. And he's thinking, if I can kill Jesus, then I really have one. And it says right here that through death he might destroy the one. He might bruise his head. You see, Jesus Christ suffered on the cross. Yeah, Satan bruised his heel, but Jesus made the final blow, crushing the head of the serpent. He destroyed the one who has the power of death, that is the devil. And he delivers all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. All of those who lived as slaves of sin, knowing on some level that death and judgment are coming. We all get delivered out of the reign of Satan and the power of sin and the consequence of death. We all get saved through the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. God takes what Satan thinks is his biggest weapon. And he takes the one who twists his words and he twists the plot on Satan. Go over with me to Colossians chapter 2. Colossians chapter 2. So the, the two things that we need to see, okay, is that the seed of the woman is Jesus being born as a baby. Jesus putting on flesh. Is it too early to talk about Christmas? Where are we at on that debate here today, huh? I mean, I don't want to divide the church of Jesus Christ or anything. But so, who's in for Christmas music already, right? Who's judging these people and saying, we should be thankful around here? I still believe in Thanksgiving. How dare they? Who do they think they are? What's wrong with this country? I'm jesting. I'm jesting. Really, it's a joke. We don't need to divide over that. It's not a core issue, all right? You want to celebrate Christmas? I hope what you're excited about is the birth of Jesus Christ, okay? Because there's an ancient prophecy written by Moses, handed down to Joshua, passed down to you today, that out of the seed of the woman would come one who would put on flesh and blood. Now, the second part of the, the prophecy is the bruising of the head of Satan. And the bruising of the head, that's Jesus dying on the cross. That's what that is. The bruising of the heel is Jesus is suffering and dying and being mocked and experiencing shame. I mean, Jesus is definitely suffering there on the cross. He, he gets bruised on the heel, but what Satan doesn't see coming is that Jesus's death on the cross is paying for all of that sin in an ultimate victory for the glory of God forever and ever. And in Colossians chapter 2, verse 13 and 15, 
Look at what it says here. And this is talking about me and you. Talking about how this ancient story, God created everything good, the enemy, Satan comes in, deceives. Then there's a prophecy of a hero who's going to come on Christmas time. Well, it says, and you, talking about us, who were dead in your trespasses. Okay, we, we don't start out with the life of God because of the fall of sin. We start out dead in our souls because of our sin against God. So he says, you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision, we're going to figure out what circumcision is all about going through Genesis. That's going to start making sense. The uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him, Jesus, having forgiven us all our trespasses. Now, we've sinned against God. God's very clear that because of our sin, the wages of sin is what? Death. There is a consequence because of what we have done. And you don't die right away when you sin, which has deceived many people, uh, just taking advantage of the mercy and grace of God. Well, I did it before, and I'm still alive. Seems like I'm doing okay, so I must be all right. No, that's not how it works. You don't die right away necessarily. You might die right away sometime if you sin. But no, we're all, we've sinned, and we're all here. We're all still alive, okay? But yet we know we're going to die because we have sinned. Well, it says right here in verse 14, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. See, in crucifixion, which you got to understand, crucifixion, which has got to be the worst way to die ever invented by human beings, perfected by the Romans, right at the time that Jesus is coming to die, it's like there's the worst way ever possible to die. And when Jesus dies, one of the things they would do is they would, sometimes when a criminal was crucified on a cross, they would put the list of crimes that the criminal had done, and they would nail the list of crimes there to the cross, and it's like, here's what they did, so here's the consequence. Even the government's trying to teach the people of the land, if you break the law, you're going to suffer and you're going to die and what jesus what crimes did jesus die for what was he up there suffering and dying for it's actually your list of crimes that are there on the cross of jesus it's all of the debt of your sin that should lead to your death and judgment that's what god nailed to the cross that's what jesus paid for is he paid for your soul to buy you back, to redeem you from all of your sin so that you don't have to experience the death that leads to judgment for all of eternity. That's what it's saying right here. And look what it says in verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. The rulers and authorities, who are we talking about? When the Bible talks about the rulers and authorities, sometimes it says of the heavenly places. Who is it talking about? It's talking about Satan and the rest of the demons. Let's just remember, Satan, he's, he's going to come in as the big bad guy in our, in our story today. Satan is not on the level of God or the level of Jesus. Satan is on the level of an angel. Can I get an amen from anybody on that? He's just one of the angels, one of the fallen angels, all right? Satan and the rest of the demons, these rulers, these authorities, when Jesus died on the cross, they did not see coming that that was righteousness and life for your soul. 
They thought killing Jesus was going to be the victory. And what Jesus did when he died on the cross is he triumphed over Satan. So maybe you knew before that Genesis 3.15 was the first gospel. Maybe you knew that it was a prophecy about our Savior, Jesus Christ. But let's just really examine what it says. And let's understand that that's why now the whole rest of the book is going to tell us the generations of man tracking from the seed of the woman all the way to Jesus Christ. That's why Matthew and Luke, when they want to tell us the full story of Jesus, are going to start with these genealogies and these Christmas accounts because they're going all the way back to how God flipped it on Satan from the very beginning. You want to go after the woman where her seed is going to crush you. You want them to die? You want to deceive them so they die well my son will come and die and that will be your final blow Satan. the way that God twists the plot on the twister should blow our minds and we should celebrate Christmas with Genesis 315 on our hearts out of the seed of the woman kids that's when he came the hero of the story was born God's son became a baby boy. And you know what he came down here to do? He came down here to die. But shh, don't tell Satan. (laughs) When Jesus was born, one of the stories that's tragic is when Jesus was born in, in Bethlehem. Satan worked through Herod that was reigning at that time, and he killed all the baby boys. Because Satan is a murderer. Do you see that clearly? He's a liar. Satan wants you to die. He does not want you to be happy. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. He wants to have a relationship with you. He loves you so much, he sent his one and only son to die for you. God is giving you his word to guide you to life. And Satan is giving you his lies to destroy you and kill you. Who are you listening to? If there's one thing that you need to do, it's read this book so you can live. And you need to see on every single page who it's really all about. It's about Jesus Christ. And the question is, has you, have you accepted that he's the hero of the story? That you are a sinner who deserves death and judgment. That he is the perfect son of God who deserves glory and praise. And yet he came down to take your place, nailed your sins to the cross, paid it in full. Have you transferred your trust from you keeping any kind of rules to trusting in the righteousness of Jesus to be your salvation? Is Jesus the hero of your story or are you still in denial that you're the main character? And that you won't die. That it's all going to work out in the end, says Satan. When he's tempting you to sin and twist God's word. Don't listen to the deceiver. Believe in the Savior. Turn with me to Romans. Turn with me to Romans chapter 16. And Paul references clearly our passage here. In Romans chapter 16. You know, Satan, even though Jesus has won the ultimate victory, the story has not resolved yet we haven't come to the climax to the to the end of the story and the reason that we haven't come to the end of the story 
is because God is delaying judgment. God is being patient. And the reason is so that more sinners can believe in the story of Jesus and be saved so they don't have to experience the death that leads to judgment for all of eternity. That's why we've now, yeah, Jesus, he died on the cross. He rose from the dead. Victory won. Why are we still here almost 2,000 years later after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ? So your soul could be saved. That's why we're still here. And if you have been saved, then we're still here because more people need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And so Satan, he's still out there trying to kill and steal and destroy and yet we have the good news that the victory has already been won the seed of the woman has come and he crushed the head of the serpent by dying on the cross and right when satan went after him he only got him on the heel and jesus crushed satan on the head Amen. and then it says this in romans 16 verse 17 i appeal to you brothers to watch out for those who cause divisions and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. Avoid them. Hey, watch out, everybody. Satan and his team are still out there doing their same thing. Dividing people. Questioning the doctrine, the pure teaching of the Word of God. For such persons, the people who come in and they question God, and they divide from other people in the church, such persons do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naive. Hey, watch out for deceivers in the church. That's who he's writing to here. People might be twisting the word of God that you might talk to having a donut after the service. They might be twisting the word of God in your fellowship group. Watch out for division. Watch out for people questioning doctrine. Verse 19, for your obedience is known to all so that I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise as to what is good and innocent as to what is evil. Yeah, we know good and evil. Hey, now, guys, that's the fallout of the fall. Everybody knows good and evil. Hey, let's know a lot of good and not so much evil. He's clearly referring now to Genesis 3, and that's why he says this, Verse 20, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. Is that good news for anybody right there? Right from the inciting incident, when it looks like the enemy has made his move, God is already preaching the gospel and announcing his victory. And there is a battle for souls that is raging right now. And Satan is still deceiving. And the gospel is still being preached in the name of Jesus. And as you experience that spiritual battle, as you feel the evil of the world, let me just tell you some good news. Brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, our enemy Satan has been defeated and he will soon be crushed. Can I get an amen? amen. Be gone, Satan. That's what we're here to say today. Be gone, Satan, and enter the Lord Jesus Christ, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And how can the grace of Jesus be with us? Because Jesus is with us. You could write down one last verse to take notes. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8, says that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus is with us today, even though we can't see him, even though we haven't 
heard his voice maybe speak to us audibly, even though we can't go somewhere where he is and experience him. Jesus is with us today. His grace, his goodness is still upon us right now. And I got good news for you. If you want to be like, well, where can I go to find Jesus? How can I know more about Jesus? We're actually going to start reading right now this law that is perfectly fulfilled by Jesus Christ. And he has never changed. And so when you go read through Genesis, you look for Jesus on every page. And the Jesus of yesterday is the Jesus that we know and love today, who is the Jesus who will be the victorious king forevermore. And so we worship right now as we sing these songs, we worship the same Jesus that God preached about in Genesis 3.15. So I'm going to ask the worship team to come up here, and I'm actually even going to ask the ushers to come forward. And in response to this first gospel being preached here today, in response to us starting our study of the law for the next five months together, we are going to worship Jesus Christ here right now. And we're going to sing songs to Him. You can give uh, financially if you want to respond and worship in that way. But I encourage you, to see that our hero came through the seed of the woman and that he defeated the one who brought death by dying himself. And I hope you know in your soul, and you can say with confidence here today, that your sins have been nailed to the cross. Amen? amen. And hey, let me just tell you, if you don't know that, if you, don't know what, if you can't say amen to that, and you still feel the burden of your sin like those men were talking about in that video, You're still dealing with that sin. You're still being deceived by Satan. You're still questioning the word of God and thinking you can sin and get away with it. There is salvation in Jesus Christ right here, right now, today. You need to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus and know the good news that he has won the victory for you. You can experience that even this hour. If if you want to talk to somebody, I'll be right here up front. Pastor Bill, Pastor Daniel, they'll be out back. There's so many people here, men fired up from the retreat. They would love to talk to you about your soul so that you could no longer be under the burden of sin and death and judgment, but you could know the righteousness and life of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we're we're so excited about this day that we've gathered together to go back to the very beginning, to start fresh, going through the book from page one, and there it is right after the fall into sin, on page three. There you are, Father, preaching the gospel to your enemy, telling him how you're going to defeat him. And so, Father, we praise you that Jesus Christ, your glorious son, put on flesh, became one of us, that he died on that cross to pay for all of our sin, and that when we trust in Jesus, we are forgiven for our sin. It is paid for in full by what Jesus has done. And we experience now his righteousness. Instead of death, there will be life. Instead of judgment, we will know salvation because of our hero, our Savior. And God, please forgive us for thinking that Jesus is is somehow new or he came along later. God, help us to see that Jesus has always been the same. He's always been with you. In heaven, he came down here for us. That he was there from Genesis and he'll be there in Revelation from the beginning to the end, the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. We worship the name of Jesus Christ 
and we give him all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.
I know that my Redeemer lives He's still keeping all His promises The same Jesus The same Jesus Amen